Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za On one hand, and, and here's what brings the possibility. The issue here is that Jesus' speech is so clear, so crisp, he, it's so methodical. It is such a beautiful piece of literature, this. It is unambiguous. Even a child can understand what we've just read. And so because of its clarity, while we know the reality of worry and anxiety, we have two, two choices of how we can respond. One, we can, we can believe this and seek to live like this. Or two, we can finagle our way and make all kinds of excuses why this doesn't mean what it says. You with me? Because we know the realities of life, we know how hard life is, and how simple this sounds, it appears that there's a, there's a, there's a disconnect. How can Jesus talk so simply about something that is so hard for us, thinking about tomorrow? And so I wanna encourage us, even just as we look at this, that the better way is to always listen to the Lord Jesus. The better way is to actually pay attention, regardless of however many uh, questions we have in our minds. The, be the best way is always to listen to exactly what he is saying and to obey it. Anything more than that or anything less than that is not good Christian behavior. Before we even get into this whole concept, uh, the, the, the text itself, I wanna, I wanna do some definitions. Because I, I think we, we, if we don't do definitions, there's a few errors that we can fall into. When you hear the word anxiety, what comes to mind? Well, think about this. What is anxiety or being anxious? The, he says there, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. When you hear about anxiety, worry, that, that feeling of being unsettled, um, how do you, what do you think causes that? What is that? Where does that come from? How, how can we define it? The Bible has two words that are usually used particularly on purpose, especially in their context, to show that there's at least two kinds of anxiety. And there's one whose solution is what Jesus is talking about here, and the other one Jesus doesn't discuss. And I think it's important for us to make that distinction. So there's one kind of anxiety that is different from this. To see that one, come with me for a moment to Proverbs 12 and verse 25. I want to show you this particular anxiety. Proverbs 12, verse 25. It's important for us to know what we're not talking about here. Proverbs 12 and verse 
So look at what is said there, Proverbs. It says, anxiety in the heart of a man, in this translation it says, causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. You see that? Anxiety in the heart causes depression. This word which is used often in this particular context has the idea of being weighed down, of being suppressed, of being under heavy sorrow that, has, that is caused by all kinds of different things. could be grief. It could be uh, a loss of some kind. It could sometimes be unexplained. It could be sin, as we see in, in Psalm 32. There is an anxiety, a, 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 a heart soreness where you are heavy and you're down low and the issue is not what we have just read. The issue is other things. And the solution, as you can see in Proverbs 20, 12, 25, could be something as simple as someone encouraging you by saying a good word. Literally somebody coming to you and maybe making a joke. Or somebody coming to you and say something that will take your mind off the heaviness. That's what we're seeing here in Proverbs 12. This is different from the word that is used in, this pa in our passage. The, the meaning is different. The meaning that is in our passage that you find multiple times in these three commands. Verse uh, in uh, Matthew 6, 25, 31, 34. The anxiety that we are told to not have has a different meaning, and that is a, a thinking, a care for something. So, and Jesus, of course, tells us what we are not to care for. This is different from feeling down. This is caring about something, being overly, sent, overly thinking about something, being overly protective about something, having something completely uh, control your mind and your heart. And here, that thing that we are told to not have control our mind, not have us care about often, is tomorrow. Three times Jesus repeats this in our text. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. In verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? In verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. There is a, a, a worry, a jitteriness, a an unsettledness about the future that Jesus says is unchristian. Jesus says there's, there, is a, there is a thinking, there is a way to think, there is a way to feel, there is a way to experience and, and, and be in a state about tomorrow that is not Christian. Now you have to think about what he's saying here. He says the command, and then he, firstly he tells us the command, and then he illustrates why we should not be so careful about tomorrow. And then the third thing is that he shows us also the ineffectiveness of our caring about tomorrow. So first, there's the command, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. What Jesus is caring about here is his disciples having just spoken to him. Remember what we saw last week? Having just spoken to them about the, the pursuit of the worldly riches. He just told them, don't collect everything here, but rather be rich towards God. Have your treasure in heaven. 
don't be so much about collecting everything here. And then immediately he says, in light of what I've just said, I've just said to you, do not serve man, um, you cannot serve God and money. And in light of that, he then says, do not be anxious about your life. So last week he was talking specifically about the issue of wanting to collect for the sake of collecting, having your security in what you have collected. But now he's pushing that even further. Even just about what we need, we should not be so overly concerned and worried. We should not be so anxious like the world is anxious about tomorrow. There is a level at which we are to think and plan, but there is a, there is a level beyond that that he does not want us to go to. And that is to fret about tomorrow. He says, do not be anxious about your life. I want you to think about that. Do not be anxious about your life. This, we, we could feel free to interpret this in many different ways if it wasn't coming from the same person who said to us, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must hate what? His own life. So we have no escape. He means life. You, could, you know, when you, there are certain Christianese words that you can try and interpret in different ways, you know. But you don't have that here. He, he means what he says. Life. There is a thinking about your life. And of course, when we're thinking about our lives, we're not thinking about our lives today. We're thinking about our lives in the future. Whenever we're thinking about our lives and we're always wondering what's going to happen to me and what's going to be the end of this and how's this going to end up and how's it going to work and am I going to get this, am I going to be in this particular... We're always thinking about our life in future tense. And he says, do not do that. Do not be pressed. Do not allow your heart to be weighed down. Do not allow a care that exceeds reason. And he's going to show you why what he's saying is reasonable. Your life consists of what you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you will wear. So your necessities. Do not worry about your necessities. Jesus is trying to say to us that there is a better way to live. There's many ways that people live. One of them is being, like we heard last week, collecting stuff, okay, collecting Ferraris and collecting that and collecting this and collecting this, having their treasures here. The other way to live is concern about myself. Okay, maybe I'm not so much concerned about collecting stuff, but I am just about ensuring that I'm okay. And Jesus says both of these are not optimal. Whether you care too much about stuff or whether you care too much about your life, that's not optimal. What matters is going to tell us in a moment there in verse 33. We should not care too much about our lives. Now you must hear what Jesus is not saying, of course. Jesus is not saying that these things are not important. Of course they are. He acknowledges that. He says, even your father knows that you need these things. But the issue is the, 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 the effort, the meditation, which leads to anxiety. So think about this. Uh, uh, there, there is a way to, to care about something, but not let it rule you. Right? Okay, say you have a car. 
You've parked your car. You've, you've parked it somewhere, hopefully somewhere safe. We're in Melville after all. But you've parked your car, and then you've come inside here, we've closed the doors, and you're paying attention to me. Now, if your car was just brand new, your car was just brand new, you just bought it, it's very shiny, expensive, you, your, your heart palpitations about your car's safety might be a little bit higher than it is right now after you've had your car for a year or two years or five years. You would have made sure, no, I'm not going to park it outside, I'm going to park it right there at the corner there, and I don't mind being parked in. Why? Because there is a, you, 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 there is a caring right now that's a little bit too much. And while you're sitting here, you know, you're busy pressing the button, and then hearing it go pop, pop, okay, it's still there. Because you're caring too because there's a, you know, it's still new, you, there's a bit of a care. There's quite a, an increased sensitivity. But then as you go on over time, you care about your car, you, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not uh, irresponsible or reckless, but you've left it. You know, you've, you do all the things that are necessary and then you leave it. Your heart is not so attached to it. There is a way for us to live and think about tomorrow and stay in that honeymoon stage with our car with regards to our lives. Where we're constantly worried and thinking, ooh, this decision, that decision, is it going to lead to this, is it going to lead to that? Look at all these different things that are happening. What's going to happen here? And there are three things that cause this, this jitteriness. One, external threats. Two, internal threats. Three, unknowns. External threats, internal threats, unknowns. Why is it that I find, think about the last time you were really, really freaking out about something that's happening not right now. Something that's happening in the future. Why were you so jittery? What was happening in your heart? You were worried about some kind of threat. Either the threat is outside, either the threat is some, something in you, maybe an inefficient, an inadequacy in you. Am I really going to be able to handle this exam? Or, or either, are they really going to like me? Are these people going to take care of me? Am I going to be able to do what, I'm, what I want to do? Do I have the ability to do it? Or unknowns. Such and such, maybe something else. Yo, you, you read the most weird thing on the internet and you think, yo, that could happen to me. Why is it you see a video of a person opening the door and, and falling out of the car and then now when you get into the car, you're busy thinking you're going to open the door. It's unknowns. It's this, it's this jitteriness that we are prone to. And Jesus here says, leave that aside. Don't think about those things. Leave them aside. And here it is. Here's the reason why in verse 26. Number one, the first illustration he gives us to show you the reasonableness of what he's saying and why we should trust what he's saying. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now here's a question. Are you not of more value than they? The birds of the air are always fed. If we were to take a moment to consider the birds of the air, you will find that the birds of the air are always fed. Forget just the birds of the air, the animals are generally, you can find even a very hungry lion. At some point, that lion's going to find food in general. If you watch any of them, these nature shows, 
you can be very hungry, but at some point it's going, to, it's going to find food. The Lord is going to provide for it. Jesus says, are you not more valuable than these? What Jesus is trying to push to us is that our worries, we're thinking about things that are external threats, internal threats or unknowns. We're thinking about all of these things, but we're forgetting a crucial piece of information. We have a Father in heaven. We have a Father in heaven who loves us, who values us. We are thinking about these things as being so big. Crime in our country, load shedding, business jitteriness, all of these kinds of things that are happening. We are thinking about these things just with the eyes of the flesh, just with by sight. But we're forgetting in that moment that we have a father in heaven. And this father, to him, look at what Jesus says, to him we are more valuable than the animals that he feeds every day. Friends, this, is, this, this concept is not, a, is not something that we need to knock each other over with our heads. It's really something that needs to be yeast that's netted into our hearts. This, this do not be anxious about your life. This is not something to rebuke you about. It's something that you need to think, how can I get this go into my heart and be a part of how I think? How do I have such faith that what I'm seeing does not affect how I feel? You with me? How, what I'm seeing does not affect my day entirely we, we need to we need to move from being just creatures who see with the eyes and then process and react but rather we want to now be creatures who see with the eyes and when it comes into us and processes the bigger piece of information is this our god is in heaven he cares for us and so therefore, the response should be dictated by that more than what we're seeing. But the problem for us, and which has always been a problem for, for all generations of God's people, is that we are creatures of sight. We are creatures of reason. We're, we're thinking just about what we're seeing, and we're reasoning just about what we're seeing. And sometimes even what we're seeing or what we have seen is not enough. I want you to think about this. Think about this with me for a second. You're, let's say you're 20-something years old, and you are in Israel, you're in Egypt, and your, your people have been slaves, slaving away here for the Egyptians for 400 years. And every day was just a day of slugging it away. It's been a hard life. You're 23 years, all of your 23 years of life. And if you're a male, you just made it. Somehow you survived not being killed when they were killing people like you 23 years ago. But here you are, you're in Egypt, you're slaving away, your life is just a slave away because you're not an Egyptian, your life is just a hard life, you've accepted it. And then you hear there's this guy Moses and he goes and speaks to Pharaoh and then he comes out and the next thing you see there's like frogs all over the place and then the frogs go away and then there's gnats all over the place and the gnats go away and then there's blood in the river massive nobody can find a drop of drinking water and you're like wait a second what's going on and you're hearing that the one who's doing all of these things through this guy moses 
is, behind, is for you, is trying to free you from this place. And then he finally does it. He kills all the firstborn of Egypt. And then Pharaoh says, get out of here. And not just get out of here, but take stuff, take plunder and get out of here. And here you are, you're collecting stuff. And then you're running, you're, you're, all of you, however, there's the, all these hundreds of thousands of you, you're all going, you're going, you're going towards the, 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 the sea, the Red Sea. And then as you're getting there, you're like, oh no, here they're, they're coming behind us and here's the Red Sea, what are we going to do? And then for some reason, the sea just parts. Have you ever been to the beach? You've been to a beach? Imagine a beach just parting in front of you. And it parts properly such that all of you can pass through to get to the other side. And then it closes so that your enemies are closed in. And then you get to the other side. And a few days in, you're now complaining because you're hungry. Oh, it was better over there. <laughs> it was better over there. Why did you take us out? Because you just brought us here to die. Imagine, what, we've just, what have we just seen? You've just seen all of these things. But yet here you are now complaining because you just can't find some water. You see, sometimes even what, even the fact that we've seen wonderful things is not enough because of our, how broken and how corrupt we are. But what I'm saying to us is this, is that what we need to process through faith. Even the Israelites, they saw wonderful things happen and they still grumbled because of this same problem that we have. We need faith. We need to trust. We need to believe what is unseen. We need to be those who live in our hearts, not just reacting to things that are here in the natural. If you think about it this way, there are two realms of existence, the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Which realm is more important? Which realm affects the other one? It's a spiritual realm, isn't it? Spiritual realm is more important because it, it affects the natural. How is it that anybody is saved in Christ Jesus? Because in the spirit, spiritual realm, before the natural realm was even made, God determined to save a people. How is it that Christ came it is because before every anything was made, he determined to come and save a people. How is it then that, that I can have forgiveness of sins? Where is my forgiveness of sins recorded? Not anywhere I can see. Have you ever seen the book of life where your name is written if you're in Christ? You've never seen it. But Jesus says that's the most important book that exists. Right? He says, don't, he says to his disciples, don't rejoice because you're seeing all of these things happening here, but rejoice because your names are written in the book of life. Do you see the point? We get so moved because we are living in what we can see, but really we need to knead into our hearts the truths that are in the realm that we cannot see. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to work hard at as believers, to constantly need in our hearts the truths of what we cannot see, regardless of what we are looking at, regardless of what is in front of us. I can tell you now, whatever you're looking at will never be more important 
than the reality that Jesus Christ died for you, you haven't seen him. And that Christ is in heaven interceding for you, which you haven't seen happening. And that your name is written in heaven, which you've never seen that book. And that there was rejoicing in heaven when you repented and you, never, you were not invited to that party. You were not there when there was rejoicing when you repented. But those events, the things that happened where you did not see are more important. And therefore, the one who rules that realm and this realm, if he says he values you more than the birds, that's the most important piece of information. More than what you're looking at. This is one illustration. The other one, of course, is found in verse 28. Similar, similar kind of illustration. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is to, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Listen to what this is not saying. This is not saying don't think about tomorrow in a planning uh, phase or in a planning thinking or ensuring that the, in one sense that your future is secure, your children or anything like that. It's not what it's saying. What it's saying is do not be of such little faith that you are worried about tomorrow. There needs to be some kind of sternness in you with regards to tomorrow. Whatever is coming... I'm ready for it, not because I am equal to the task, but because I have a Father in heaven who loves me. The second thing that Jesus says here to try and show how, this is, how unreasonable it is for you and me to worry about tomorrow is found in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? By worrying about tomorrow... By worrying about next week, what are you achieving? What is it that you achieve? By being frank again. And here we get to see exactly what he's talking about. He's not talking about somebody who's making plans and thinking. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to get this qualification so that I can be able to do this and then be able to work there, etc. and so forth. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about somebody who is fretting. Someone who wakes up in the middle of the night worried about the future. And Jesus is saying, while you're fretting, worrying about tomorrow, what are you achieving? Nothing. You can't add a single hour to your span of life. You're not actually changing anything. You're just being worried. All that we can say is that you're worried. I came across this, this, this quote that I thought was really good. Worry is fear's extravagance. It extracts interest on trouble before it comes due. It extracts interest from trouble before trouble actually becomes due. It constantly drains the energy God gives us to face daily problems and to fulfill our many responsibilities. It is therefore a sinful waste. Here's an example. A woman who had lived long enough to have learned some important truths about life remarked this. I've had a lot of trouble in my life, most of which never happened. The things that we're worried about are usually in our minds, right? They, actually, they usually never actually even materialize. 
we just worried all up here. And Jesus says, that is not the way for us. The way for us is to have faith and trust in our Father who is in heaven. So he repeats the command in verse 31, and then he says another reason why this is, uh, this is a, a not a good endeavor. And here we actually get a bit more meaning into what he says. He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Throughout the Sermon of the Mount, we have seen that Jesus uses two negative examples throughout. When it comes to praying that he's spoken about, when it comes to giving, when it comes to fasting, when it comes to everything, there's two people that he's always saying, don't be like these people. The first group is the hypocrites, the Pharisees and the scribes. The second group is the Gentiles. Constantly says, don't do what the Gentiles do and don't do what the hypocrites, the, the scribes and the Pharisees do. Well, here is saying, the Gentiles seek after their life being comfortable. The Gentiles are constantly thinking about themselves and ensuring that they are taken care of. And he says, don't do that because even the Gentiles do that. Your father rather knows that you need them and so therefore trust that he will take care of you. But here's what you are to seek after. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, what you need will be added to you. Here's the principle summarizing what he's saying. Be anxious. If we, can, we can say what Jesus is saying in a different way. Be anxious about your righteousness. If anything should keep you up at night, it should be your sin. Be worried about not walking in the straight path. Deal with things regarding how you are living. Constantly check yourself and ensuring that you're walking in the way that befits one who has been called by the Lord Jesus Christ to walk in righteousness. Do not wake up worrying about 10 years time, about three weeks time, but rather think, am I walking in the right way? Wake up at 2 a.m. thinking, you know, when I spoke like that, that was not helpful. Why, what led me to speak like that? Let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Let me fast about it. Let me seek guidance on it. Let me talk to somebody about it. Let me, let me, let me confess it to someone. If there's anything that you're going to seek after, there's something that's going to make you constantly being alert and wondering, let it be righteousness, not these things. Of course, when he says this, you have to understand what he's meaning. He's not saying that by so doing, you, will, you are achieving your righteousness. Of course, our righteousness has been given to us in Christ because of what he has done. But rather, he's saying that our business now, which has been the theme of the Sermon on the Mount, our business is to have a righteousness that is practical, that exceeds both the Gentiles and the hypocrites. See, the hypocrites did not spend much time worrying about what's going on in their hearts. They were just going around judging people and acting and wanting to be seen as being better than everybody else. And the Gentiles don't care about righteousness at all because they don't even have a relationship with God. All they care about is making sure that they're fine and they're taken care of. But you, sons of righteousness, daughters of the living God, yours is a different way. You are not to care much about what people think about you. 
You are not to care much about whether or not you will be alive in five days' time. You ought to care much about, am I walking with my God? Am I walking with the one who has redeemed me and done all these wonderful things for me? Go back to our friend who's 23 years old, who's now crossed over the sea, the Red Sea. What is it that he should do when he gets on the other side? He's gotten to the other side of the Red Sea now. He's seen all these wonderful things. He has been saved and redeemed from destruction and slavery. How should he now live? He should live in constant gratitude and thankfulness to the one who redeemed him. That's how he should live. He should be thankful. How can I, how can I honor you? How can I thank you? How can I bless your name for what you have done for me? You shouldn't get on the other side and start worrying about water. You understand? You shouldn't get to the other side and start grumbling about meat. But rather, he should say, I have been redeemed from such serious slavery by this one great and wonderful God. Please, Lord, how can I honor you? How can I sing praise and thanks to your name? Now, dear friends, this is, this is an important principle for us to think on. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us the way to live in light of Him, His coming, true righteousness and what it looks like. And may we be at Heritage a people who are not so concerned about tomorrow's troubles, but rather may we be a people who are more concerned about the glory and the name of the one who has redeemed us. We believe that Christ has redeemed us from all of our sins. Christ has freed us from slavery to sin. We believe that we have been in the, in the book that matters among all, above all the books. There's all the books. But this is the one book that really matters. We believe that our names have been written in there. Therefore, May we live in light of that reality. May it be found in us a desire to honor the Lord and live a righteous life, more even than we care about what we will drink in a week's time. May Jesus, in our hearts and in our minds, find a people who are so enthralled by him, who care so much about his word, about his opinion, about drawing closer to him, that they even willingly some days decide not to eat and not to drink, but just to spend time praying and drawing near to him in fasting. May we care more about the things that we do not see than the things that we see. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, you have honored us by your life, 